Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So I have a bit of a reputation, uh, a reputation as somebody who likes numbers, who likes uh, making charts, um, pretty pictures made from numbers, and using them to talk about all kinds of things. Like I've run a, uh, a version st- uh, iOS version stats page for... Oh gosh, it's probably four or five years now. And just there's sort of something that I love about being able to make decisions in my business um, and my development based on numbers rather than just on instinct or on sort of gut feel. And so it was something that I thought would be an interesting thing to kind of dive into because I don't think that's how everybody tends to work. Like I have way, I collect, I collect and process and on a, week, you know, on a weekly basis use numbers in ways that I don't think a lot of developers do. And so I kind of thought it'd be interesting to unpack that a little bit, a little bit, because what I find is being able to make my decisions based on um, numbers and actual like sort of measured things makes me a bit more rigorous in terms of, you know, I'm basing it on something concrete as well as honestly, I think it makes me more honest with myself because I, it's so easy to, trick yourself into thinking something's more important than it actually is. Um, and so as an example of this, like something that I've run into recently is I, um, in, you know, Pedometer++, my most um, sort of popular app, has a Apple Watch component, which is great. And as part of the Apple Watch component, it has a complication that you can install. And I added, when I added the fat feature to the app, I added a little thing that, you know, in, in, as part of my analytics which I'll we'll talk about a little bit later, the actual collecting of it. But in my analytics, it tells me how many people have installed the complication. And I started getting the numbers back. And it's like, the reality is a very small percentage of my users use the complication. And so, which was different in my mind than what I originally expected. Like I use it, I love it. I, and like, it's the part of the watch app that is most useful to me, but it turns out a lot of my customers don't use it. There are some, but it's very, very helpful for me to kind of guide how much time and energy I should put into making that awesome because I have a, num- a number to base on it. You know, it's, it's a few percent of people are using it. Maybe it's not that Im- not, not as important as I thought it was. And so that helps me to be honest. Do you use numbers in your in your work? What I usually do is just randomly discuss uh, a possible thing with you around and then you will jump in and say, actually, I have an entire graph and database for this going back seven years. Here, this is how this actually works. That's true. So it's actually very useful having you around as a friend. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I, I, I do way less of it than you do. Um, and I want to change that. because, And I have slowly been changing that, but not nearly to the, to the, to the degree that you do. Because you have numbers and stats and data on things that I wouldn't even consider, uh, like I would never think to do that, but it would be so useful if I did think to do that. <laughs> and and there are way I mean, we're we're going to get into uh, the details of this, but like there are ways to do this that are not difficult, that are not that time consuming, and importantly, that aren't creepy uh, or that don't sell out your users. And there's like there's so many data based decisions that I should be making. 
and I should be factoring in usage data and activity data and revenue data and things like that. I should be factoring in all those things, as you said, like when I'm when I'm making decisions about what to do with my products, what products to even make in the first place, what not to do, uh, what to expect revenue-wise or usage-wise, and really, I, I feel like I've been I've been underdoing it in the past, and so now I've I've uh, been trying to jump into the data game a little bit. Yeah, and I, it, it's a, definitely an interesting balance that you, I find you have to strike because you can like become a like a little obsessive with it, where you have to you sort of you end up with like oh, what's it the KPIs. Or whatever, there's like the, the the terrible business speak where you end up with like, oh, our business is like, are we hitting our key performance indicators? I think is what that, that is. Anyway, that's that's like terrifying to me. But it's that kind of a world where you end up with like a business that's based on the numbers or like, and it's all A-B tested and it's all driven from this kind of feeling that like, well, if we can just keep tweaking the numbers, then our product will get better and better and better. And Personally, I find that a little bit like it kind of removes the craft from what we do. It removes a lot of the um, the, the feel of what, of what you can make in that in that sense. And so, like that's not really the kind of numbers that we're talking about. But what I moreover have found is that if, if I'm able to collect the right kind of basic information and then have a very basic set of skills in Excel or in you know scripting or SQL or things like that to actually be able to pull it together, is that I can. I can answer these questions that otherwise you just can't really get a good answer for Um, because, and like what you really don't want to be doing is just kind of like shooting in the dark. Uh, Like as an example, I ran in, I remember when I was localizing some of my apps, it's like, you have to be able to answer the question, like, where are people using it? Like what countries are, is my app popular in, um, but it's not localized into, I should probably be localizing there. Um, And you need to be able to pull that number from somewhere. Yeah, I mean, there's so many, there, there's so much, I've done personally so much wasted effort over the years in working on something that a basic investigation into some numbers would have told me that is not worth doing. Um, consequently, I've, all, I've also, you know, on the flip side, I've also not done things over the years that I should have been doing because I wasn't looking at the right data that would have shown me this is something you should be doing. Things like localization are obviously a big one. Um, even simple things like app features and usage. Like, you know, I, I mentioned um, recently that I did a lot of effort to make Overcast work really well on the iPad. And in retrospect, that might not have been worth all that effort because my iPad usage is in like the low single digit percentages. It's like, you know, 3% or something of, of, of people who use Overcast. And that was a very, very simple thing to look up and to realize, oh, this is actually maybe not worth prioritizing over more important features that would benefit all the iPhone users. Um, Similarly, like, you know, I can look at features that make it better or worse with certain numbers of podcasts. Well, I can look on my server and I can see, like, what's the average or the median number of podcasts that people subscribe to? And, you know, I should optimize the interface to make that look good and work well and things like that like there's there are so many opportunities that i can bring in just like just basics of looking at numbers looking at stats uh doing a little bit of research and and finding out um you know other things like um over the last year or so i I occasionally get tempted by the idea of making an audio editing app for producing podcasts and uh, i keep talking myself out of it because i just keep seeing 
you know, I'll look up rank data, I'll look up revenue data of, of estimates of what other apps make and try to figure out like how many people are producing this, these kind of podcasts, how many people might might be buying this app, what might I be able to charge for it. And I, I keep coming back to the conclusion that it's just not worth doing. Uh, but, you know, eventually, like if I look at the data on an ongoing basis, like eventually it might be worth doing and it'll be useful to figure out when that time comes. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I love that, like, making these types of decisions, it feels like there's always going to be like an emotional kind of like part to it, right? Where you may want to make your app look good on the iPad just because you like the iPad, for example. I mean, um, but there is always something kind of sobering when you look at the numbers and you're like, huh, that is, it's like, I just did all this work for 5% of my users. And you can, you know, it makes that makes that kind of more sort of gut decision into something that you can be like, you know, not that I want to ignore that five percent of my users, and you know, there's certainly arguments to be made for making sure that you're, you know, taking care of your like your your most um, sort of devoted or powerful like power users type of people, but it really helps you to focus in on like what are my 80% users and is their experience as optimal as I can make it. Exactly. So I wanted to, I seem like there's kind of two things, two types of numbers that I, I personally have a lot of, I don't even know what to call it, like infrastructure around collecting that I kind of wanted to thought it would make sense for us to discuss. And then the first one is sort of sales numbers, you know, so sales and revenue downloads, um, this is the kind of thing that you really, if you're going to make making software your, you know, your your livelihood. Maybe this doesn't apply as much if you're just a ho- sort of more of a hobbyist. But if this is what you want, either want it to become your livelihood, or, or it is your livelihood, you really have to have a good grasp on, you know, how much money are you making on a daily basis? Where is that money coming from? Uh, both in terms of, you know, geographically, what countries are you popular in? Um, asking questions like, is it um, are you making your income from advertising, um, in-app purchase, direct sales, all those types of questions that you need to be able to, you know, understand in order to make sure that a your business is functioning, and let you make you know good thoughtful decisions about your future. Um, and I've used so many different tools for this over the years. I think I used I think it was called AppViz. Um, it was yep. the first product I used back in the day, which was like a Mac app that would download um, the reports out of iTunes Connect. Um, there have been all kinds of other things. There's App Figures, App Annie, um, iTunes Connect itself has actually gotten a lot better at this. Like it used to basically just give you a CSV file, and now you can go into the Sales and Trends area, and they have like a nice interactive thing that you can get quite a lot of mileage from. Um, personally, I ended up actually I have an entirely homegrown system that I built <laughs> over the did. over the course of um, because what I so what I do is I have like a little Ruby script that uh, can go in. Like iTunes Connect has uh, an ingest API, um, which you can sort of hook your uh, hook up to, and it will pull in the sales reports directly from iTunes Connect, and it puts it into a SQL database that I run locally um, that has my historical data going back, um, I think it's somewhere on the order of about seven years or so. Um, and what I love about that, and the reason I've done that, is because now I can look and I can ask very strange questions and I can get an answer for them because I have data going back so long and in such a, like, a normalized way. And most people don't need to do that. I'm not sort of re- recommending that. Um, but that is certainly something at the end of this that if you 
if you keep going down this path for long enough, eventually you might find yourself being like, huh, none of the tools that exist um, can answer the questions that I'm asking. And then you can start to you know, get a bit more homegrown. But for most people, like use App Figures, use App Annie, just use the iTunes Connect thing. But be able to look at them and like decide questions. And you have to think about some strange things like... I don't know how you think about your revenue, but for, I've always found that I think of revenue in terms of like average revenue per day. Yeah, that's about right. Like that is the number that I've, I don't know wh- wh- why, may I think, I think where this came from is when I was initially going independent um, or one, that was my goal. Like I was still doing contracting at the time and I was saying, I, you know, one day I'd like to go independent. I kind of had a, a big number in mind that, you know, it's like the, like, what would I like my ideal sort of like base salary to be, um, from my, from, you know, like how big would my software business have to be before I could go independent? How, before I could, you know, say no to consulting, um, and just make this my main focus. And like when that number was the annualized number, it was kind of daunting and scary and felt very amorphous. But when I took that number and divided it by 365, and said, well, this is the amount that I need to make each day. And as I was putting out apps, every morning I could log into iTunes Connect or I'd get an email, you know, you can get an email from a lot of these services that do this and they'll tell you how much you made. And I could see that number gradually increasing over time and getting closer to like my tipping point that, you know, I like my wife and I decided that like once that, you know, like my software hit this number, that would at that point it was you know like that was our focus that's what we were going to keep going behind because we'd hit that sort of tipping point and so that's still the way i think about it now like the day-to-day numbers maybe are a bit less relevant at this point you know like i'll have some good days i'll have some bad days Um, but overall like i think about it in those terms and i think about when i'm making a new app like i don't think about it in terms of how much money i could make in a year from it i think about how much money per day i could make from it um, which I think is helpful too from a sustainability perspective, because I think about it, it's, you know, it doesn't matter if an app can have a huge big spike at launch if it immediately falls to zero, um, because the, you know, the, it's what I really want are apps that make steady income every single day. Yeah. And that also gives you an idea, like when you get those daily reports, you can or you can already have a sense for like, are things going well or are things starting to go badly? Because you 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 all you have internalized like what is my target daily income? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a good way to point for it too. Is you? It's like if you only measure, say, on a monthly basis, um, like you could be potentially be 30 days behind making changes that you need to correct problems or issues. You know, if um, if if one day your 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 revenue falls off a cliff. Um, it's like, you should probably know about that right away because like, did something, did something, is something wrong in iTunes? Like that's happened mm-hmm. to me where I've definitely had like a weird thing where, uh, like an app update messed something up in iTunes connect and no one could download my app. It's a like, bit of a I've problem. It's a bit of a problem when all of a sudden you wake up the next day and you have like 10% of the sales of the day before. And it's like, if, because I'm keeping track of it on a daily basis, I was able to, you know, it's like go into iTunes Connect and make a non-meaningful change, and somehow it magically fixes things. And like, hooray, we're you know get back on uh, on path again. But 
you have to be able to look at that, have a mechanism to be aware of those types of things um, on a regular basis. And I think I tend to, I wouldn't say I necessarily look at everything on a daily basis. I usually, it's the thing, thing I do first thing Monday morning is kind of the pattern I've gotten into. Like I run my little scripts and pull in all my data and run my reports, um, on a Monday morning. And I find it kind of helpful to think about what I'm going to do that next week. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely so helpful to have this number in mind that you're trying to hit and have a way to kind of generate that number and look at it, um, in a sort of, in, in a way that makes sense to you. Exactly. All right, our sponsor this week is Pingdom. Once again, go to pingdom.com slash radar to start monitoring your websites and servers today. You get a 14-day free trial, and when you use the offer code radar at checkout, you get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom makes the web faster and more reliable for everybody by offering powerful, easy-to-use monitoring tools and services for anybody with a website. You can, for example, monitor availability and performance in your server, database, or website from more than 70 global test servers. They can emulate visits to your site to check availability as often as once every minute. Now, we all know websites are becoming more sophisticated and are often made up of several dependencies. And when one dependency encounters an outage, it can affect the entire site. So it's also possible to use Pingdom to monitor the availability of key interactions. So things like contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logging in, search functionality, and a lot more. And you'd be surprised how often stuff breaks in the internet. Every month, Pingdom detects more than 13 million outages. So regardless of whether your web presence is a small website or a complete infrastructure, you really should monitor its availability and performance. And I use Pingdom personally. I have used Pingdom since 2007. Now, to give you some idea of how long that is, that is older than the entire App Store. The entire business we are talking on this podcast about is younger than the time I've been using Pingdom. And so this is way before they were a sponsor. They, they started sponsoring like a few weeks ago, and I've been using them for, you know, literally since 2007. Uh, I recommend them strongly if you have mo- any kind of monitoring. If you're monitoring things for changes or for downtime, you don't even have to own the sites you're monitoring. If you want to monitor some other site for changes or downtime, you can do that too. Uh, all Pingdom needs is a URL to monitor and optionally any kind of conditions to check for on the page, substring, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, or you can just tell it, check when it's up. And when they detect an outage, you can be alerted immediately so you can fix the problem before it becomes a much bigger and more costly outage for you. Now, you should not be learning that your site is down by people on Twitter telling you three hours ago, hey, by the way, I think your site's down. No, that is not good. It's not professional. It's not good for your business. You should be the first to know. And with Pingdom, you can be. And you can fix it before too many customers or readers see it. Check it out today. Go to pingdom.com slash radar for a 14-day free trial and get 20% off your first invoice with offer code radar. Thanks to Pingdom for sponsoring our show. All right. So... The other aspect of um, numbers that I, th- I find personally really helpful for to think about is app analytics um, to understand how people are using your app, how people are, um, what the devices they're using. I mean, there's some very basic questions that, like, for a long time, I struggled with not having an answer for. Like, I mean, I mean this is, was easier back in the day when there was only, for example, one screen of iPhone size. <laughs> right. Um, but even back then, there was different versions of iOS. Um, and you find yourself in a question of, like, well, how soon can I drop support for old OSs? Um, and there's some amount of this that is sort of generally available in public. Um, but the reality is, even like I have a site, like if you go to david-smith.org slash iOS version stats, you can see like the data that I collect from uh, one of my apps that I made public. 
But even if you look at that, that applies to my app um, with its particular user base and usage. Your app and your mileage may vary. And so this is the kind of thing that I feel like every app developer needs to have a good handle on for themselves to be able to answer these kind of questions. Because otherwise, you're just kind of shooting in the dark. Like, well, I guess I'll drop iOS 9 six or ios i guess wouldn't be dropping ios 9 now that would be a bit foolish but uh, dropping (laughs) ios 8 um support maybe six months after it comes out like you're just kind of pulling a number out of the air um versus looking at your app and like deciding hey maybe my users don't upgrade very quickly or they're using it on devices that um, i wasn't aware of and so this is something that you just kind of have to do um does that where do you collect this kind of data when you were saying that your ipad usage was single digits like where is that number coming from for you so i used to like back when in the newspaper days i used to just do like the basic kind of homegrown server stat reporting so basically when the app would connect to the backing web service and of course this depends on having a backing web service um, it would report what kind of device it was what its os version was and stuff like that and so i would just be able to go and like query my users table and be like, all right, how many people are running the iPad one? How many people are running iOS, you know, iOS seven or whatever? So that you know, that has pluses and minuses. The, the the main downside is that you know you have to if you do it that way, you have to write any of the supporting tools yourself. So if you want to have like graphs over time or additional metrics or any any kind of like smarts or intelligence or summarizing behind that reporting, uh, you basically have to do it all yourself, and you probably won't. And I never did. <laughs> I just kept like the basics there. So it it made it hard to really draw any kind of deeper knowledge from it or to and there was a lot of, there was a lot of data I was missing by doing it that way. But the advantage there is that there's no code dependencies in your app and there and it's really not creepy at all. Like nobody would really be offended by by you reporting back to your own server during requests you were already making what kind of device they're running on stuff like that. I mean, it can be abused, but it's it's harder to abuse, I think. So there, there are some advantages there in terms of, you know, privacy, simplicity, te- you know, on the technical side, like there, you know, you don't have to embed some, somebody's library into your app, stuff like that. Uh, but it is very limiting in what it can do. With Overcast, up until the, the handful of most recent versions, uh, I was doing basically nothing. I was embedding crash reporters. And so in the early days, I used hockey. And then more recently, I used Crashlytics. And so I, w- I would have a, an approximation of what the app was or of of the install base if i would get like a, a really common crash then <laughs> the crash logger would say hey this is like n- you know 92 percent on iphone okay well i guess i have roughly 92 percent iphone users then. um that was also not a great method uh because it first of all it kind of encourages me to leave common crashes in the app <laughs> I, I didn't but uh yeah so and then there's a better way is the yeah there, there's a better way and and i and it didn't um i didn't get you can't get a lot of data from that really there's also the itunes connect built-in stats but they're also very limited in in both what they report and also which devices in use they report from because they only report if the user had checked in that like send data to apple thing during setup uh, so i have found that the number of, of devices reporting in through itunes connect is way lower than the actual number in use i think mine was something like 10 or 20 percent yeah and i think I'm, my numbers are fairly similar to that um, yeah. in terms of the like the opt-in rate is pretty low yeah so that's that's also like that's good to get a, a, an approximate idea of like you know what's my rough ratio of like iPhone to iPad or something like that, but that those can't tell you a whole lot 
overall. So recently I switched to Fabric. And because Fabric was is like the the umbrella that is that owns Crashlytics, it's all it's all it's all part of Twitter. Um, and so I started adding basic analytics through Fabric, and it has been surprisingly useful to me. I I really I was a little wary at first, and there's there's this whole other area of it that allows you. There's like a second level of creepiness that it, that you can opt into that I didn't opt into, <laughs> where you can like. It, it like tries to figure out who your users are, so it can it can tell you like the geography and demographics and and like all sorts of more advanced things about like what kind of people are using your app. Like, well, it's the people in this age group, and you know, skewing mostly female or mostly male or whatever. And like, there's more of that that I don't do. Uh, maybe someday I'll turn that on. I don't, you know, with with Fabric, it gives you like the not only the basics uh, automatically of things like what versions of your app are in use, what platforms are they in use for, and everything else, but also. It, it, and of course, you know, things like crashes are all integrated. So you have a crash for user percentages. Um, this morning, I got an email that like there was one crash that was crashing more today than it usually does. So it, it sent me an email. It's like, hey, this this number is suspiciously high. You know, you might want to look at that. Uh, stuff like that. And then you can add custom events, which I have done. Um, I have something like 15 custom things that I can track. And it's, it's things like I, I track... How many new signups do I get? And then how many, like, how many people among those click the anonymous account button versus the give me an email address button? I do things like how many people use the watch app and are they using the entire app or just the glance? And even in the watch app, are they going to like the deeper menu parts and like rearranging playlists or are they really just using like, the basic play controls? Um, and then in the app, I have like how many people use smart speed? How many people add podcasts through the directory versus add it through URLs? How, what, how many people are playing through the speaker versus playing through headphones? Stuff like this. And what this allows me to do is what we said in the beginning. Basically make smart decisions about what I work on. And so ever since integrating Fabric a few months ago, I have not only dramatically reduced the number of crashes because I, I keep optimizing for that crash for users percentage, <laughs> but but uh, but also I have I have gotten a lot of insight into what I really need to be working on. Like there are certain numbers here that I want to increase. Things like you know how many how many people hit the recommend button ever. You know like ha- and so like I want to boost that up because that helps my social discovery features. Then I also know. How many people use the social discovery features? How many people ever add podcasts through the recommended podcast section? Now I have data on that, and I can see when I'm if I can if I make changes over time, I can see like okay, maybe making this thing more prominent or rearranging the order of things in this screen or something else like changing the wording, changing the language around things. You know, I can see the effects of those things, and now I now I kind of know like what's worth it, what's not, what I need to work on, what I probably don't need to work on, and uh, and just all sorts of useful stuff about how people are actually using my app, all in a way that I don't think is creepy at all. Because, you know, there's there's reasonable boundaries here, and, and I think I've chosen reasonable reasonable parameters and reasonable limits. And uh, and so I think the, the downside really is pretty low. Yeah, and I, I mean, one of my favorite stories about this was the, the reason why you ended up adding the... Um, the I guess the EQ profile for the built-in iPhone speaker. That's right. Um, which was like this really cool, clever thing that you did in one of the most more recent Overcast updates, where the, like when you're playing a podcast through the iPhone speaker, it has it sounds a lot better now because you kind of changed the EQ to optimize it for the type of speaker it is. But if I'm remembering right, you added that because you discovered that a lot of people listen to podcasts playing out of the iPhone speaker, which I wouldn't have guessed. And, and yeah, and like. 
I listened to it out of the iPhone speaker all the time, but I didn't think most people did. And yeah, it turns out a good a good number of people do. So I thought this is a feature worth doing. With my watch app, I decided, you know, I, I still have my WatchKit 1 app. And a lot of people have asked me for WatchKit 2. So I decided to look and you know, how many people are actually using the watch app. And it turns out the number is very, very low. And so now I know, like, you know what, I can, I can hold off on that. I can wait until WWDC, wait and see, you know, what's happening with watchOS, and maybe just, like, skip watchOS 2 and go right to watchOS 3 before I invest time into that. So, like, there's all sorts of really useful things. Like, I, I discovered that, you know, I, I'm better off investing time in the iPhone speaker optimization than rebuilding a WatchKit app. So, like, you, you can get insights like this with fairly easy-to-collect data. Yeah, and I think ultimately... The reason that I find that this is so important for me and my business is like the nature of being, of doing the kind of work we do. We're like, we're just like one man shops. Like there's, we don't, we have our most limited resource in most, you know, in most realities is our time. Like there's only so many things we can work on. There's only so many projects that we can tackle and having a way to like concretely say, this is worth doing this is why and like pointing to a number and saying like if i do this this will benefit 50 percent of my users is incredibly helpful to get out of the kind of like all the rabbit holes that otherwise i find that i my i'll end up going down and just be to be working on projects that i think are kind of cool or interesting but ultimately aren't helping my business be sustainable or my apps to be really useful um, and so it's, it's such, such a vital thing to get, once you kind of go to start going down this road of saying, what, what would I like to know about my users and how can I use that to then make better decisions? Exactly. All right. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you everybody for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye.